I was I was at a lecture at uni at eight AM, like five hours, literally five hours after she died, and wow. and it was just I was just like I, I just didn't question. I was just like, oh, I got to do something. Hey guys, welcome back to Ninety Nine Everything with Jonathan Lau, me, your host, and this is the podcast where we aim to try to maximize and Ninety Nine Everything uh, in every facet of our lives. So today's guest is a certified dietitian. Um, he's also a high school friend of mine. Um, he's also a very skilled soccer player, very skilled pianist, and very skilled trumpet player. So a perfect guest for this particular podcast. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Eddie Lunn. Thank you, Jono. Thanks for having me. No worries, You're too man. kind. No, it, it's the truth. Like, um, <laughs> Also, Eddie was like, did you top PE or pass? Uh, PE. Yeah. So... <laughs> So he, he topped our state for PE in the... Uh, it was I, came for, I came fourth in, in the state. So, so li- literally... Not, not bad, great. Literally not <laughs> up there in the 99th percentile. Um, but yeah, man, so just let's get straight into it. So you want to just tell us about your upbringing and um, what kind of led you to becoming a dietitian? Yeah, so I guess, you know, when we're all in high school together, we're all trying to figure out, you know, what do we want to do with our lives? And, you know, the most common answer everyone said was, oh, I want to do law, I want to do medicine. Um, and I guess for me, it was, you know, I, I sort of got drawn into the, the, the health industry, you know, the idea of being able to help people is, you know, everyone finds that quite rewarding. But I think sort of what clicked for me was actually when I was in my first year of uni. So I, I started off doing a, a combined degree. It was an exercise sports science bachelor's with a master's of nutrition and dietetics. And in my first year, my mum got diagnosed with leukemia. And then so, you know, she's gone into Westmead, she's getting the chemo, she's really sick. And, you know, I remember growing up for, for mum and for our family and in our culture, you know, food is such a important thing. That's how you bond as a family. Um, and I remember going in to visit my mum in the oncology ward and she'd be so sick after having her chemo, you know, she'd be vomiting, she'd be nauseous, she'd lost so much muscle mass during that time, you know, she was really malnourished and it sort of got me thinking about how, you know, when we're well, food is something you just take for granted, you kind of just get up, eat, move on, go on with your life and it's only when we're really unwell that we sort of appreciate how important food is and, and how much it, it plays in not just our health, but our mental health and being able to socialize. You know, you, you think about being able to sit down and eat lunch with your family and your loved ones. And when you're in hospital, you're in a dark room alone, you're being served food that's not necessarily your, your cultural foods. Um, you're being served food that's cooked in a different way. It's at a different time that you're normally used to. And it sort of really fascinated me how uh, you know, food does a lot for us health, mental health, and, and, and even just social and, and cultural engagement. Um, and so, you know, watching mum deteriorate and, and it sort of got to a point where she couldn't, she physically couldn't eat because everything would come back up. Mm. Um, and so the, the dietitian at Westmead, and mind you, I was 18 at the time, I had no clue what a dietitian did, right? When, I, when the dietitian came, I just thought, oh, well, are we just doing meal plans and, and weight mm. loss and stuff like that? Um, and what the dietitian did was they put a, a feeding tube in her nose, um, and so what the, the dietitian's role was doing a lot of calculations and trying to nourish my mom as best as they could. Uh, and so I thought that was really cool, you know, that, that dietitians are more than just, you know, that the food police or the, the food Nazis that, mm-hmm. that everyone likes to think of them as, and they actually do a lot to help people improve their quality of life. So that's mm-hmm. what really drew me into dietetics. Awesome, man. So what do you think if you didn't have that thing happen, like in your family, like, 
I guess that was a big turning point mm. to shifting mm. like where you wanted to go. Mm. Mm. That's pretty. That's really cool. So, um, do you, do you, can you think what would you have done if it wasn't for? I think that? the field of dietetics would have been really different. So up until that point, I had really been interested in sports dietetics. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I was really lucky and really privileged to to get the opportunity to work with uh, South Sydney Rabbitohs, one of their NRL oh, teams. Oh, cool. Um, really cool. So I was a, I was an intern. I wasn't you know responsible for much yeah um and like whilst it was a, a an amazing experience and, and i really enjoyed being able to you know see some of the, the fittest people on the planet i i didn't find it as rewarding mm. you know you mm. do all that work just to trim two percent of mm. body fat off an elite player whereas you know when you're in the hospital you can help a elderly malnourished frail person you know get the strength to go see their grandkids and get out of hospital i i, I thought that was a lot more rewarding that's uh, that's really that's really cool because that's like why i did private practice mm. like i didn't want to be a sports physio either mm. uh, like because it's way more rewarding getting someone to like climb out of bed exactly than like beating like the time by one second. yeah well yeah. for me personally yeah. and i guess yeah. for you too yeah that's cool man so you switched from more like sports focus to more like i guess health and function yeah. focus so that degree was it was a five years yeah it was a five year so five years sports degree. science three years and then a nutrition dietetics two year masters cool and what was like your first job like coming out of it i oh. was really lucky i got a, a new grad role um at concord hospital just down oh, the road from man. here okay. um yeah. yeah so so dietetics is quite a small industry to begin mm. with so there, there were a lot of graduates there weren't a lot of new grad roles available so i was you know, just quite lucky, uh, right place, right time. Um, and, and the, the new grad program at Concord was really supportive. Um, it, I started off in the neurology ward, so I'd see a lot of patients with strokes and they mm. couldn't swallow. So we'd had to do a lot of tube feeding yeah. until they recovered from their stroke. Um, and, and I, I really liked it in that hospital setting, as you said, it's, it's that reward, you know, sort of seeing patients get well enough to, to leave hospital, mm. um, and, and yeah, so I've, I've worked in hospitals since. So after con I've been working at Gosford um, mm. Hospital most recently in their ICU, and that's a, a very different yeah, challenge. Okay. We've had COVID um, mm. through that, and, and you know, the, the demographic on the Central Coast is quite different as well um, to mm. metropolitan Sydney. So there's been a lot of um, new, I guess, nutrition issues that, that we have to deal with, a lot of uh, things like food insecurity, um, alcohol abuse drug abuse so that's um, more popular in like the central coast it's more prominent uh -huh. um we see and so it's you know often our interventions aren't just as straightforward as you know oh just eat healthy when you go home because some people just don't have the money or you know right. for them putting a roof over their head is a struggle enough so we yeah. have to try and work with that um to, to try and make healthy sustainable living something that they can achieve within their their personal circumstances yeah okay cool it's like there's a bit of like social work associated with that mm, too. Mm, yeah. mm, cool. Yeah. And is dietetics the same as being a dietitian? Are you a dietitian? Yeah, by yeah, trade? dietitian. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay, so here's an interesting one. There's a lot of nutritionists these days. <laughs> can you tell me? Can you tell us and me yeah. the difference between a nutritionist and a dietitian? Yeah. So uh, uh, to be a dietitian, you have to have a university degree. So the, the bare minimum is a four-year undergrad degree um, or there's, there's two-year master degrees uh, available. Uh, with nutritionists, that label isn't as strongly regulated. Mm. Um, so there, there definitely are lots of really good nutritionists out there, don't get me wrong, um, but the regulation towards that 
that title isn't as strict. Um, yeah. So there's a, you, you know, there's, you could do an online course. Yeah, yeah. And, and call yourself common. a nutritionist. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's not to, I'm not having a go at nutritionists. There's, there's some out there. Have a go at them. <laughs> you know, there's heaps of people out there who are, who are really good, you know, yeah. and, and a lot of what the nutritionists do will be a lot of, you know, healthy eating and, and, and you know, education for healthy eating was, I guess the dietitians will have that extra training with um, clinical conditions. So chronic health, yeah, yeah, acute yeah. health and yeah. being able to diagnose and, and you know, do extra. Gotcha. Okay. That's kind of like, I guess, the exercise physiologist versus personal trainer. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. But exactly. we can also work with like unhealthy populations. Yeah. You can do a lot more. Yeah. yeah. What would you say your biggest pet peeve about nutritionists are? You can let it out. <laughs> I wouldn't stop talking. Um, I, I think even within uh, within the health field, um, we have a tendency to almost misinterpret scientific research. Oh yeah, um, and I'm, I'm sure you see that a lot as well, John. You yeah. know, you see a lot of with social media. You know, people will will try and uh, create like a 15 second summary of, of years and years and years of research, and it's really easy to then misinterpret that. You know, from, for the average person listening at home, you know, if I talked about P-values, sample oh, yeah. sizes, power, you know, is, yeah. you know, is this, is this study randomized? Is it controlled? Double-blinded, single-blinded? Like, most people wouldn't know what that means. But when you see the headline, you know, oh, if you drink three coffees a day, you're blah, 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 blah. And then people then look at that headline and then they judge, their, then they make their nutrition choices or their food choices based on something that's not necessarily applicable to them. Yeah. And i got to say, even within health, as clinicians, we're not very good as a profession, as an industry, being able to separate a well-designed study and a poorly designed study yeah. to then you know guide our clients and our patients. That's a really good point. So I think it's because like, you know, in today's day and age, it's like instant, like people mm. aren't going to like really- Dig deep. Dig deep, yeah, mm. it just takes too much time because people just want, it takes a lot more brain power to review and critically yeah. appraise a study, right? Oh, absolutely. And to challenge your own beliefs. beliefs. Like it's one thing to Google something because that Google, the, the, the algorithm will just reinforce your bias. Confirmation right? bias. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But so trying to be being open to have your beliefs challenged, like it's challenging. Yes. Like even yeah. I struggle, you know, when someone says, oh, you're doing something wrong, I, you, immediately your, nat- your nature is to become defensive and try 100%. and justify yourself. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a tough skill. Um, yeah. to learn and it takes years decades to sort of you know be comfortable with that for sure i i liked how i've like gotten better at it is like i'm just looking for the truth it mm. doesn't matter if i'm right or wrong just mm. whatever the truth mm. is um but yeah like so i would agree too like i think people just read the abstract mm. or they read the headline mm. and they forget that sometimes like the the subject participants could be like fucking mice <laughs> yeah, you know, it's exactly. like it's not exactly. relevant to human beings yeah, sometimes yeah you know? yeah so um okay that's interesting so i guess like that's why i guess having the university degree is good because like i had a I'm pretty sure you and i both had a full course where it was just literally mm. how do you read yeah, papers yeah you know oh it was so boring i but, remember yeah but yeah. in hindsight you like appreciate it yeah you know? exactly yeah and i find myself sort of going back to those notes i wrote you know, in that course, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and you, you're looking at a research article and you're pulling up your notes and being like, okay, is the, I wrote here in my notes, the p-value is this, mm-hmm. what does that mean? And then mm-hmm. trying to translate that to, to something that I can apply. Mm. Okay, that's really, that's really cool. What would you say a typical day of work is like for you right now? So, and I guess tell everyone what the, because you, you said you work in ICU, yeah. like 
I guess like what field of diet because I'm sure diet dietetics yeah, is a big, it's really big range. Yeah. Like where do you work in and what does a typical day look yeah. like? Yeah. So f- when most people say dietitian, I think the average person thinks meal plans, weight loss, you know, mm. healthy eating. In the ICU, my role is a lot of artificial feeding. Mm. Um, so we have so you can imagine an ICU, everyone's critically ill. You know, almost all of them are on ventilated yep. machines. They're, they're having machines doing their breathing for them. So you can imagine they can't eat yep. you know, if they're unconscious. Um, and so to nourish them, we will often put, well, the nurses will often put feeding tubes in. And my yep. job is to then calculate how much we need to feed them. Yep. Um, sometimes we get patients who will, they'll have a, a big um, gut surgery or for whatever reason, we can't access their gut. And so the surgeons will tunnel a line into their aorta and my job is to then feed them through that line into the into the heart, so it bypasses the gut. So that's something called parenteral nutrition. Wow, so you feed the heart. Yeah. So it, it, yeah, the nutrients go straight into the bloodstream. So we might have patients, wow. for example, they might have had a diagnosis of colon cancer, yeah, yeah. and the surgeons have resected that and they've cut the bowel, like they've opened the person up, cut the bowel out, and maybe their gut's taking a little bit longer to start working again. Yep. And we can't exactly just fast them for three weeks while we wait for that. So yep. we need, need to nourish them and get some nutrition into them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my, my job, I like to say it's a lot of maths because yeah, I'm trying yep. to estimate, okay, how many calories does this person need? Can we feed them this much? Do we need to look at their respiratory function, cardiac function? You know, are we able to feed them that much? Yeah. Um, so absorption rates. Absorption right. rates. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's not as simple as this person's burning 2,000 calories, we feed them 2,000 calories. Mm. You know, it's, mm. if, if you're in critical organ failure, your gut can't necessarily handle that nutrition. And mm. sometimes we have to underfeed knowing that's suboptimal, but at least it's getting some nutrition in until they recover well enough. Right. Well, I'm going to just fast track this question because I was going to leave it later because it's really <laughs> relevant. So a lot of, I guess in the fitness space, it's they're like calories, calories in equals calories out, mm. right? And look, f- just from my perspective, I think for the most part, that's true. But what we said before, it doesn't take into account how well you absorb mm. calories mm, right? or like nutrients. Absolutely. So like even in the fitness space right now, like there's always like confusion regarding like, oh, you can only take like 30 grams of like a protein mm. bolus, you know, mm. otherwise everything else you're not going to absorb, mm. you know. So um, I, I guess because you see the worst of the worst, but what do you find it makes someone not able to absorb their nutrients as well? Yeah, so for, for my critically unwell patients, when they've come in, um, let's say they've come in with a, a high-speed motor vehicle accident. Yeah. So a lot of the blood flow will be diverted to the, the injury site. Yes. And so when you feed... Under normal circumstances, when you eat, your body would divert blood flow to your gut to then digest, absorb, metabolize. Those patients, you know, the gut is the least of the body's concerns yep. when they've had a you know, car crash. Um, and so if we pump them with calories, it actually ends up doing more damage because it just sits in their tummy. The, the stomach's not getting any blood flow to, to break that down yeah. and send that to the small intestine. So it ends up just sitting there and it starts piling up. Uh. And then we have patients aspirating, which means it eventually gets back up out of the esophagus into the lungs and that they get pneumonia and and choking episodes um, Mm. and that sort of thing. Um, So that's obviously a really sort of extreme uh, case for the, for the average person. There's, I mean, we could talk for days about the the different factors that might influence uh, absorption and how quickly the body reacts to to nutrition. And really it's a very individualized Uh, thing. You know, we often say to people like, for example, when you, when you eat a normal meal, 
on average, it usually takes about two to three hours for it to move through your stomach into your small intestine. But we have some people where it can take five, six hours, 12 hours. We have mm-hmm. some people where up half an hour later, they're happy to start going, running around again, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. It's a very individualized thing. So, you know, I think that for the listeners at home, one thing to be really mindful of is, you know, when you're on Instagram, on Facebook, and people are giving out those, you know, the, the nutrition advice is, is general. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it's really you playing around and experimenting and finding what works best for you. Mm. And, and I guess that's why you'd work with a dietitian, right? Is yeah. To figure that out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and in the in the bodybuilding space, we, we have a lot of sports dietetic sports dietitians who, who specialize in that. Mm-hmm. Um, like you would have noticed it yourself when the, in that cutting phase when you're when you're going into preparation for 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 competition and a lot of those sports where it's very body image focus like gymnastics for example there's there are dangers when when it comes to restricting mm-hmm. to that extent yeah. so you know I'd, I'd really be encouraging people if you're when you're competing at that level to to, to consult with a sports dietitian mm-hmm. just make sure you're, you're doing it safely yeah um so there's no longer term issues yeah i think it i think especially it's it hits women a lot harder mm-hmm. because of like the hormonal health and also like uh was it menstruation and yeah all that. yeah so um yeah, just, just, I guess the effects of diet Absolutely. Can, can actually be negative to a oh, degree. Oh, 100%. And, and we live in such a diet culture. Yeah. Where oh, everything's 100%. about losing weight and, and looking good. And, yeah. you know, I think it detracts from enjoying food. You know, yeah. food is so much more than just the calories in and out. Yeah. You know, you want to enjoy your food and look forward to it. And, um, yeah, so uh, you made a good point about women. Like, uh, in uh, my, my partner's a dietitian and one of her mentors... Um, was a dietitian for the Australian ballerina company because they realized that, you know, these these ballet dancers are, are dieting to the point of, you know, you get a lot of eating disorders, anorexia. Yeah. Um, so they brought her on board just to make sure that, yes, they need to be able to perform and dance at the highest level, but we don't want to be sending these young women into hospital being really sick and really unwell and having a poor relationship with food mm. for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. We're just going to go on tangents because this is so, this is <laughs> yeah. so interesting. Because um, I actually recently had a little like discussion with someone on Instagram regarding like macros. Mm-hmm. So um, it seems to be what's really common right now is a lot of like fitness coaches or like, yeah, fitness coaches, they'll prescribe macros to people and say this is like the best way. Mm. And um, just for me personally, like I never looked at tracking macros for health. Yeah, and I, I agree. I, I don't think there's any need to to go to that extent. Yeah. Um. You know, the only circumstances where I've seen it is your, your absolute elite level. Mm. You know, the NRL teams where they've got a sports dietitian who does all of that mm-hmm. for you. For the average person, or even if you're just competing at a, you know, just at a, or doing sports just at, recreationally, there's there's really no need to be going to that full extent of mm-hmm. tracking macros. Yeah. Um. We find that you know if you if you've ever done it before, right? You you sometimes you're hungry you just want to eat and then you're like oh i gotta get the phone i gotta track everything i gotta weigh everything mm-hmm. and it, it takes the enjoyment out of eating for, mm-hmm. for a lot of people mm-hmm. um the other thing with when we're only exclusively looking at macros then you forget about macros. The, the micros yeah the vitamins. the vitamins the minerals the other stuff that's just as important for your health um and so i think it it can be a bit of a, a narrow-minded approach when we're just looking at macros mm-hmm. um and the, even with the macros, it's not like there's a, a, a golden number, mm-hmm. you know, that works for everyone. So for the, the if you ever just Google like, the Australian guidelines for macronutrient distribution, there's quite a big range. So carbohydrates, for example, don't quote me on this, but I think the, the government guidelines are 40 to 65% of your energy intake, you know, 
give or take. Mm -hmm. that, that's a big, big range, mm -hmm. you know? And some people can function really well on, on lower amounts. Some yeah. people need higher amounts, yeah. you know? So it's it's something, especially when you see people selling meal plans and it's just cookie cutter, mm -hmm. copy paste, copy paste. It doesn't work for every single person. You yeah. know, everyone's different. Um, and even day to day, your macronutrient distribution will be different depending on what you're doing, how active you are, mm. if you're doing, you know, big amounts of aerobic activity versus if you're just sedentary in the office, you know? So it, yeah. I'm very mindful of, you know, not focusing on that number yeah. just for the sake of that number. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think because maybe for your population, it's people who are, uh, patients are like people who are more than, we'll call them negative side, right? Because yeah. they're coming to see yeah, someone. they're very sick. Yeah. So, so, so I guess, as a clinician, you have to be cognizant of like the mental aspect mm, of these mm, tools. Mm. Um, for me, like I look at macros purely for performance and yep. body composition, yep. right? So um, even my coach, like he he tells me I got to eat fruit every day. Mm. I got mm. I got to make sure I get this this amount of servings. Mm. Like mm. just having macros isn't an excuse to just like eat like total shit and just eat McDonald's yeah. and lose weight, right? Um, yeah. But I think macros also gives you that flexibility. So, so how, how I structure my diet, yeah. I guess you can just like critique it. It'll be <laughs> interesting. So I, I do like an 80, 20 diet, yeah. which is 80% of my calories are like, like whole foods, vegetables, yeah. like typical things that mm. you can come from the mm. ground and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And then I'll give myself 20% leeway of just eating like whatever. Yeah. So like cookies. Ice cream, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, you know, if you're, if you're spending your life being so strict about everything you're eating, it, it takes the fun out of, Food. For sure. You know, and sure. a lot of research shows that the more you restrict yourself, the more you end up... Binging sort of afterwards, binge, right? Exactly, binging yeah. afterwards. Um, and so you need to have that balance. And I, I you know, I, I agree with that. You know, obviously most of the time we want to be eating healthy whole foods, but have the cake, have the ice cream from mm -hmm. time to time. You know, go out, go with friends, go to mm -hmm. the restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, in the hospital setting, we have a lot of malnutrition um, in the hospital. You know, you think you're frail, old, you know, they're skeletal mm. you know? um and i often say to those people you know those patients I, I don't care what you eat i just want you to eat something yeah yeah you know, yeah get something into you i don't care if you want to have ice cream for breakfast lunch and dinner yeah. go have it yeah um yeah so uh, yeah it, it's an interesting with with you know uh, again as i said earlier with food it's so much more than just calories and yeah. just macros uh, it, that's that's so meta because the whole podcast is about like the holistic yeah. approach to everything yeah. right yeah, and just like food is not just like the physical aspects, mm. the mental, the social, mm. the, all that mm. kind of stuff. Mm. Cool, man. Um, but yeah, like just to kind of just finish off on that macro point, it's like I think the other thing is in if if it's for the average person, like you want balance, right? Mm. You want to eat like you don't want to become so like uh, food focused mm. or like, oh, mm. if I don't get like this last gram, it's not good. Yeah. Because this podcast is more aimed for like higher performance yeah. and um, I guess – people who really want to maximize like yeah. health and like perform yeah performance body composition yeah. uh i guess what what are some like dietary tips or like things that you would suggest to i guess a bodybuilder or elite athlete so i know it's not you i'm sure you still know <laughs> but like what's some things you have seen in your experience yeah so i'll preface this by saying i'm not a sports dietitian so yeah. definitely consult a sports dietitian if, if you do get the chance and want to really go to that next level um one of the the experiences i found when i was working with the, the rabbitos the nrl players was that they need to eat a lot of food mm. you know just to get themselves through a, like i remember in preseason they were doing triple sessions so they 
rock up to the gym at 8 a.m. They do weights. They go to the field at like 10, do another session out running, and then go back into the gym and do like a wrestle session. And you can imagine the amount of calories you're burning, the, the carbohydrates you're churning through, the protein you're churning through, you need to eat. So the first thing we often say that to athletes, don't restrict yourself. Mm. Right now, bodybuilding is a, probably a, a, a little bit more leeway for restriction because you have to, you know, get into a certain, certain for in shape. season. For off season, I think that would mm. be, be the case. But for most of your, you know, your, if, if you're a weekend warrior and you're, you're playing sports, right, we, you don't want to go into your competition or go into your your match hungry. You don't want to be undernourished or underfueled because you're not going to perform yeah. at, at that highest level. Um, so don't restrict yourself. Don't be skipping meals for the sake of skipping meals. Mm. Um, when it comes to strength, obviously we, we want to be getting enough protein in. Mm-hmm. Um, the the animal based proteins we know are better absorbed, <laughs> and that we can go into veganism. That's going to be a it's a very loaded topic. Yeah. Um, which isn't like we have a lot of uh, like vegan athletes, and and it just means they need to get a lot more. Yeah. Protein from their plant based. It's higher need, volume for yeah, for yeah. like a say piece of meat. Right? Yeah. yeah. So it's not impossible. They just need to eat a lot. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So getting enough protein in. The carbohydrates tends to create a lot of controversy because people are either on the low carb camp or the high carb yeah, camp. Yeah. The the body prefers carbs as its as its fuel source, Preferred so it's source. it's a very efficient at breaking down glycogen. Yes. Uh, as opposed to breaking down fat. Yeah. Um, and so, in terms of power production, you can generate a lot more power through glycogen breakdown rather than fat. It's a mm. fat gives you a lot of calories but it takes a lot of steps biochemically to break the fat molecule down yep. into ATP which is, is gluconeogenesis yeah so it's 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 lipo lipogenesis um, gluconeogenesis okay. would is be the, the glucose oh, okay yeah yeah um ideally you don't want to be breaking down proteins um, yeah, yeah, yeah you want to be using that to, for your muscles mm-hmm. um but with with i guess with your i guess going back to the macros you you know if you're in an event where you're running or you're moving uh, using your aerobic system a lot you mm-hmm. want to be making sure that your muscles have the glycogen in them yep. so you know people often talk about carbohydrate loading uh, mm-hmm. in the days before an event i had uh, to do that so less for performance but more for like a look yeah okay yeah, yeah. you feel that muscles yes yeah, because you get that water weight yeah. stored with the glycogen yeah yeah, yeah. cool yeah okay so pr- uh, pretty much eat enough make sure you have enough protein and carbs should be your preferred source yeah source. especially if you're if you know if you're running if you're going to do like a half marathon Get the carbs in. Yeah, cool. Awesome, man. Um, what do you personally follow? Oh, actually, before we go on that, what yeah, what is a typical day of work for you? Yeah, typical so, yeah, typical day of work, yeah. So I'm in the ICU, we're doing a lot of uh feeds, oh, yeah, yeah, artificial that's right. You're feeds. Um yeah. I also work in the, the surgical unit. So yeah. once my ICU patients are well enough, if they had a surgery, they'll go to the surgical unit. And so for them it's often prepping them for home and making sure any surgical wounds don't break down. So yeah. for them I actually talk a lot about high protein diets as well. Not for yeah. not for performance, but just to help with that wound recovery. So if they've had their gut, you know, if they've had their belly ripped open by the surgeon, we need to put that belly back together and get the skin healing. Otherwise it breaks down. Um, And so we we talk a lot about protein because your skin's made of protein. So we want to try and get that protein in. Cool. Um, And often these patients are feeling sick, you know, nauseous, vomiting. So it's, you know, easier said than done. You don't just go in there and say you need a high protein diet because they don't have an appetite 
post-op. So we, yeah. we're trying to encourage them and, and find strategies to get them to eat something yeah. um, to, to help that recovery. Yeah. That, that that just made me think for like, it doesn't, it's not as easy as it sounds because like <laughs> culturally some people mm. just don't want to eat that. Mm. Mm. And people also just don't like eating certain foods. Yeah. You know, and like hospital foods aren't, aren't they're not, the best. Yeah. yeah they don't <laughs> taste know, that good. They're mm. not the tastiest to begin with. So it, it's, you're often fighting a losing battle already mm. trying to get people to eat. Um, so we, in the hospital, we have a lot of high protein drinks, like sausages, yeah, yeah. probably something that everyone's heard of, you know, yeah. those types of drinks just to try and make it a bit easier for patients to get their protein into them. Cool. Cool. Awesome, man. So what do you, what, what's your diet like? What's a diet of a dietitian? <laughs> it varies uh, day to day, but I would say overall, like I try to follow the principle of moderation and I'm very much like you, John, you know, I like going out. I like eating cakes and ice creams from time to time. Um, but it's not an everyday thing. So yeah, cool. one thing that we've, my partner and I are, are really trying to do is include a lot more plant-based fiber, high fiber foods, okay, which cool. isn't meant to say we're not vegan. We're not vegetarian, right? Yeah. But we're just, we're, there's a lot of evidence showing that incorporating more fiber, more plant-based foods helps a lot from a chronic health point of view, cardiac health, diabetes, gut health, mental health, there's a lot of that gut, gut brain access, which mm. we'll talk about mm. later. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so a typical day for me, you know, I wake up, I'll have some sort of high fiber cereal, there'll be some milk, so there's my dairy. Um, I'll have some fruit when I get into work. Lunch is usually some leftovers. Um, afternoon tea, I might just have a cuppa, cup of tea, and then dinner's usually some sort of protein, carb, veggies, and then maybe it's up like dessert, we'll sometimes have some ice cream or something nice yeah, cool. to, to treat ourselves. So, yeah. you know, it's not like, you know, we're, we're tracking everything and, yeah, yeah. and being really strict about everything. And we, mm. we like our food and, and mm-hmm. you know, it's more all about the moderation. It sounds like a very healthy, balanced approach. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you said plant-based. Well, yeah. So, including, so yeah. what's an example of that? So we've been trying to include a lot more like legumes, lentils, chickpeas. Because right. yeah. um, it's a good protein source. To, to, yeah. to, be, to be fair, the, the initial reason we started doing it was just cost. Like to, to buy oh, okay. a 400 gram can of chickpeas is 90 cents. Oh, okay. So it's pretty cheap. It, it's much cheaper as a protein source compared to you know, if you want to buy the yeah. minced meat. Um, and we ended up, what we found was that like we'd buy the minced meat and like I would eat a lot of it mm. and we'd have to buy more and more and more. And we found that getting that 400 gram can of, of lentils or chickpeas just helped us sort of bulk up that meal. Yeah. So I wasn't buying all the expensive meat. So yeah. initially it actually started off as a financial yeah, decision. Okay, cool. um, but we were like, hold on, there's a lot of fiber. There's some plant-based proteins in here. Yeah. You know, it fills us up. Yeah. Um, and so that that was something that, that we've started incorporating. Because um, I, I, to truth be told, even though I'm a dietitian, I, I don't like my veggies. I sort of reluctantly yeah. eat them because I know yeah, I have okay. to. Uh, so for me, it was being able to have that, those, those legumes, those lentils was a, a, a much more fun way to incorporate more fiber into my diet. Yeah, just okay. having salads all day. You know? Yeah, is is that kind of like the black beans you can get from? Like yeah, 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 yeah. So anything like the beans, black beans, chickpeas, yeah. butter beans, kidney beans, lentils, mm. um, really high fiber, and a, a pretty decent source of, of plant protein. Cool. And and I've been encouraged people, you know, just to add that into your meat. Just to yeah. add, you know, you can add some extra protein. You can add some fiber as well. You know, it's great. Cool. cool. Okay, that's a good point. Like, um, I'm sure a lot of people would benefit from that from that because. Is it a carb or a protein? Like, the, the, it's the, both, right? Yeah. So, so things like chickpeas will have some carbohydrates in them. Yeah. Um, but they'll also have protein. Cool. Some fiber in them. That's actually like a, would make sense as a pre-workout meal. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. See, so is, is that a high GI or low? It's low GI, right? It, it's uh, yeah. It 
the the plant based ones are generally lower. Lower. Okay, so um, it might take a bit long. Okay. Yeah. yeah maybe not. Um, one thing to be mindful of is if some, because of the fiber content, people some people do get a bit gassy. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's true. Baked beans. Yeah. yeah. Which is fine. There's nothing wrong with gas. It's a very normal thing. Nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah. But, you know, some people just don't want to be cool. gassing out the gym. Yeah. Nah. That's a fair point. Um. All right. So I want to just to dive into more the physical activity aspect. Yeah. So, um. We're going to put this on the video, but you're actually like really good at soccer and you're actually really good at like the trick aspect. So we're going to put it up, like all your tricks, like oh, Eddie can like put the ball behind his back and then kick it back up. So It's been years since I've done that, but I'll have to, right. I'll have to practice. I'm sure you'll I'll, get I'll it I'll find easily. a video of it. I'm sure it's there somewhere. Yeah. Um. So what made you, because you originally were going to go into sports anyway. Yeah. So I guess like what drew you to like physical activity, like PE sports? And, uh, yeah. And then I guess, what do you do for physical activity yeah. now? It's fun. You know, I think uh, that the mm -hmm. higher you get after competing or, you know, just playing sports, even just going for a run and, and kicking a ball around with your friends, you know, it, there's a social component to it. It's fun. It's, it's my way of release, you know, and everyone's got their way of, of self care. And I think for me, you know, being able to play soccer and, and run around was, was my way of just looking after my mental health. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly not good enough to be a pro or anything, but it was, it was just fun. I, I, I like doing it. Um, and so I still do that. Um, okay. So I've, I've been playing since I, I left school, um, just with the same team in, in, in Epping. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool, club. cool, cool. Yeah. So you still play competitive. Yeah, That's awesome. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's just at an amateur level. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's almost, you know, like obviously, you know, you like winning, you like competing, but it's, you know, you do it for, for fun. You mm. get to see your friends every week. Yeah. You know, so I think that, component of physical activity is just as important as the you know we could talk for days about vo2 and mm -hmm. maximizing performance but the the mental health side of things sure. is, also has a big role cool cool so is uh that's like training and then like yeah game yeah, on the weekend yeah do you do any other type of physical activity um in the off season lately we've been playing a, a six aside comp so it's okay, like a cool. social you know wednesday yeah. nights just just have a bit of fun um, sort of thing. Um, yeah, and then like my partner and I just like to go for walks around where we live. Nice. Um, just just to wind down after work. Yeah, cool. Yeah. All right, so soccer is still like your main passion, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, but growing up, why were you so into sports? Was there a reason? Like, was it your like, family or was it watching stuff? Or Yeah, I, I think my parents were really keen for me to get involved in extracurricular. Mm. Um, you know, I guess that stereotypical Asian... To a degree, though, right? Because I think Asians they'll do like the academics and the music yeah. aspect, but not so much the not so much the sports. sports. And I, I, on reflection, I wonder if it's you know to do with the, the individual achievements. You know, with with, with music, you, you sit the grades, you do the exams, and it's yeah. you know this person got the certificate. It's not so much a team based thing unless you're in a band. Yeah. Um, but I think for my parents, like both my parents were worked as high school teachers in when they were in Hong Kong, oh, cool. and I think they sort of saw how if you just pigeonhole a child into you know, you need to do this and you need to be good at it. Mm. And it was just academics or just music. I think they, they saw a lot of, you know, young deficits, young adults. Yeah. Just struggle mental health wise. You know, they just didn't have that skill set to cope with, yeah. you know, you know, they're, they're being told you're, you're brilliant at this. You've got to be really good. And what happens the day they fail? Yeah. Cause they're going to fail one day and they yeah. don't have that resilience to build with it, to, to, to cope with that. So I think my mom in particular was really keen for me to get involved in team sports because then you learn how to lose as a team, ah. you learn teamwork and yeah. you learn it's it's more than just your personal success. It's about contributing to, to a team success. Mm. That's really interesting. My, my dad was also a high school teacher in Hong Kong. So yeah, that's okay. interesting. Um, but it's, once again, it's like 
a lot of people just focus on their career and like they go hard with the career. And it's like that, I guess if people realize how much physical activity can actually contribute mm. and improve mm. that, Absolutely. you know, or just like, just literally once again, it's like 90, 90, everything It's like helps your mental, helps your like maybe discipline, helps your like energy levels at yeah. work. Like all these things all combined together. Yeah. You know, it's just, that's why it's so good to, that's good that your mum recognized that, yeah. you know, because um, I guess she saw it in her students. Absolutely. And, and, and I think it helps, especially now with, you know, these last couple of years with COVID and everyone being burnt out buy it you know having something to look forward to after work you know oh i get to see my friends i get to run around and de-stress you know rather than when you get home from work you're like oh crap i got work tomorrow again yeah i think that helps a lot with burnout and i think what makes it better than let's say just watching tv like because people will will get tired after work and just watch tv i think like once yeah you are releasing energy Mm -hmm. but it's also like you've it's i feel like it's a human or like a, a mammal thing to like once you like do something hard, you just feel good. Mm, mm, you know? There's that serotonin release after, you know, after, yeah, after endorphin release. After, oh, sorry, endorphin. Yeah. Yeah. After activity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like it's not, I mean, the, the, some people just like to rewind, like unwind by, by watching TV and then, you know, that, mm-hmm. that's fine. Yeah. Each to their own. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think everyone's got their own ways of self care. Yeah. You know, and I guess for you and me, it's, it's a lot of activity based stuff. Yeah. I'm yeah. biased, but I think it's the best one. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, I mean, you're speaking to a physio here yeah. and a, a dietitian, of course, we're going to say that. Um, cool. So just leading on to the next question. So like academically, you were really good. At, so back, we went to a selective high school in New South Wales. Like you were definitely up there. Um, but what I noticed is like not just academically, but like most things that you, um, that you put yourself to, like, you know, studies, music, a sport, you excel quite well. Where, where do you think your where do you think that comes from, and where do you think your drive and your work ethic comes from? There was definitely a, I don't know if you noticed uh, for yourself, John, at school there was a lot of competitiveness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you, like I, I was thinking about this, you know, the, these last couple of months, just reflecting on high school. You know, yeah. it was everyone just was so like almost cutthroat. You wanted to be yeah. number one in no matter what it was. Like, yeah. you know, you want to be first in your subject. You wanted to do, win the cross country, and yeah. I, I think. It, at the time, it sort of helped me achieve, you know, good, I guess, good results. Mm. I think looking back, it was, in some ways, it almost took the enjoyment out of some things. Sure, sure. Um, sure. You know, I, I remember, like, I hated doing the cross country. Like, oh, interesting. I hate running for the sake of running. Like, I, yeah. I like running after a ball, or doing some sort of skill-based activity, but running yeah. just, just to run, I hated it. And yeah. every year, I always remember, I never wanted to run it, but there was an expectation that I had to run it and I had to, you know, place in the top three because I did it the year before. And everyone's like, oh, Ed, you know, are you, you going to win this year? And I'm like, there was almost that, that pressure. Oh, that's interesting. Um, that yeah. external pressure. So yeah. um, I, I think that, that 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 value, I guess, of, you know, being brought up with that expectation that, you know, you need to 99 everything and you mm. need to, to do your best. I think it, it's important to make sure that to differentiate between you're trying your personal best as opposed to being so obsessed with being the best yeah. you know, being better than someone. Intrinsic versus intrinsic. Intrinsic versus extrinsic. Yeah. Exactly. And I must admit, you know, that's something I still struggle with yeah. today because it's everything I've grown up with has always been about extrinsic yeah, motivators. Okay. And, and for me, trying to find that intrinsic motivator is still something I'm working on. Really interesting. Because it's like, I, I know that it's not, it's not, let's say it's not the healthiest thing, but just because I, I thought about this too, it's like, 
like yes maybe the selective school environment is not great but also now it has given everyone way more opportunities mm. Mm. as opposed to mm. like if we were just like lazy and didn't study mm. right mm. so it's like a pro and con yeah absolutely you know and then look we were speaking about this off air about how privileged we were Go, yeah, going yeah. to a school where you know it's a reasonably like everyone was well off we didn't yeah. really know what struggle street was yeah for sure you know and for having sure. those opportunities I, I remember and my partner won't mind me mentioning this like she grew up perhaps not so well off mm. um you know and I, we were sort of discussing you know how how we were raised as kids and, and for me even the simple things like you know being able to go on an excursion oh, you know right. not having to worry about oh you know how we how we're going to get the money to, to pay for the, this excursion fee you know all those experiential those those experiences you have as a as a child you know that that school tries to give you those extra things that you cherish for the, the rest of your life you know i just took that for granted because yeah. you know i just say hey mum, you know there's a camp going on yeah can you give me can you, give can us you... two and a half grand to, to go yeah. and like, okay cool yeah. you know so i, I think it, it's only since i've sort of met more more people outside of that selective school bubble that sure. we realized how like awesomely we're, privileged we're so lucky man we're yeah. so lucky yeah. yeah just being able to things like oh i, I need a laptop to to do my study yeah done yeah. you know parents would buy i need a faster wi-fi connection so i can yeah. stream you know learning my, my lectures done yeah you know, those things that we take for granted you know, for sure so lucky. for sure like um yeah just uh, like you said like once you leave the high school setting you realize like man like we're so privileged mm. like that's why like I, I don't believe in complaining because it's like there's just so many good things that mm. occur in people's mm. lives and it's like you're 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 almost shitting on other people's experiences by complaining about your privilege. Yeah. It's like, oh my yeah. God. It, it's but perspective, you know. And, perspective. And, and that's 100%. something that takes years to develop. Yes. Yes. Um, do you have any like productivity tips? Because I know you're like, like you were good at studying, right? <laughs> um, but also like, let's just say like piano, like, because we're going to touch mm. on to that. Like, mm. like what, what grade did you get up to? I did my diploma. Um, so it was the AM associate diploma, the Amos level. So oh, Amos. So like first to eighth grade, then the certificate, then the Amos. So that's level. like two levels above eighth grade. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Because um, that takes a lot of like deep work and just mm. practicing and scales, mm. you know. Mm. So I guess, do you have any like tips for, or what did you do to try and like be focused? Because I'm sure that was also hard yeah yeah and I, I must admit you know with with like with piano for example there, there were a lot of times where you, you kind of get home from school and you're like oh you know i just want to chill kill you yeah. know and then and try not to find the motivation to practice i think to in terms of productivity it, ideally you want to do something you enjoy yeah and i think you and i are privileged in this situation where we can actually do that some people just have to work to put you know food on the table for their families yeah. and, and you know that that's you know i completely respect that but if you're in a position where if you're lucky enough to be able to do something where you enjoy you you, you tend to be a lot more effective and, and efficient yeah, in, yeah. in what you're doing um one thing i, I found works for me and i still do this is is i guess trying to be organized with my my work day and my 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 life you know and, and having like a almost like a timetable you know like the timetables you had at school you google you know. calendar yeah yeah okay. um and being realistic about what you can manage. Oh, that's a big one. And I think you yeah, know, yeah. a lot of people will set, you know, okay, from 12 to 1, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then their whole entire calendar is blocked out. And you, you can sustain that for a little bit, but you, you burn out eventually. Yeah. So I think when, when it comes to scheduling things and, and using a calendar or using a timetable, you also need to schedule in self-care and schedule in oh, rest and schedule in time just to, you know, I'm going to give myself an hour this afternoon. I'm just going to do nothing. Yeah. And, and I think that makes it a lot more sustainable. 
Yeah. Um, so I found that worked for me, especially, you know, going through exam periods, you know, because you kind of just say, oh, you, you can set unrealistic goals. You know, I'm yes. just going to be like, I'm going to lock myself from 12 p.m. to 12 a.m. and study. And mm-hmm. no one does that. So mm-hmm. you break it up into chunks that are a lot more realistic. You schedule Chunk, in some chunking. breaks. Yeah, okay. You know, yeah. you might schedule in, okay, half an hour, I'm just going to go outside and walk and just zone out and just yeah. de-stress and then get back to it. There's actually like a study for that. Like a six-minute walk actually improves cognition. Cognition, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, but here's another level. Like for me, it's like the work I do is self care. Mm. Right? Just it's next level. Yeah. Like so, I I get energy doing this. Yeah, okay. It's not work for me. And I I think like that that's such a privileged position that's that you're in. You know that 100%. that you can love your you know that I think what's what's to say like love your work and you'll never work, work a day in your life. life. Yes. You know, and and I think you're one of the few people who are, who are. In that position, yeah, you know, and that's so cool. That's it's a great place so to amazing. be. Yeah, um, yeah, like I commend you for that, Jono. Thanks, man. Yeah, um, but that's good. So, yeah, I think Google Calendar has been a big game changer mm. for me. Just like actually, like, because because once you take it out of here and you put it onto something, like it frees up your mind too to actually like I guess focus on whatever you mm. need to do instead of like, oh, like what time was that? Was it? Did I have to do that at seven or seven thirty? Mm. You know. So, yeah, Google Calendar. I yeah. think that's a good one. Cool. Um, so. Do you still play piano? Yeah, yeah. So I still just do it recreationally. So when I moved out, um, we live in a little apartment, so we've got this little digital piano, so I can just yeah. plug the headphones in and just zone out. Yeah. Um, and I find that's my way of, like, besides soccer being, I guess, an active hobby, this is sort of like my creative hobby. Creative hobby, hobby. yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, it's another way of self-care for me. Yeah, you know? cool. Um, and you've probably seen, like, I'll, every now and then I'll put something on I was going to say, like, you, you upload, like... <laughs> Dude, it's one thing to play piano, but to like create, like we'll call it art, like to put it online. Because it's also another thing to record yourself playing. Yes. It's, it's another I've thing. I've noticed, yeah. You know? Like like you can perfect something in practice. And then once you know that you're being recorded, recorded. you kind of just like, yeah. And like I still, I still sort of struggle sometimes with that. But like I know it's, I'm not, I'm not doing it to make money out of it. Yeah. And it doesn't bother me if only five people watch it yeah. on YouTube. Just the it's outlet. Just, yeah, it's just my outlet. And you're sharing it. Yeah. For yeah, sure. Exactly. That's how yeah. I see it with yeah. like my drum stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, okay, you can pretty much answer, like, you still continue to play music because it's more of, like, a self-care mm. outlet kind of thing. Um, I guess, like, what... I would say not everyone has a creative outlet. Like, yes, mm. people have, like, physical activity mm. outlets and all that. Like, what do you think is the benefit of having that? Because you're, you're not... You're also, like... When you make your videos, you're actually making stuff. You mm. know? Like, you're not just playing a sheet mm. you're like mm. making your own rendition renditions and like so you're literally creating something new um what how, how do you think that benefits you or like what what do you enjoy about that like, i'm yeah. sure there's studies out there about you know how i'm sure there's something the brain, out there about the you know that that helps yeah. with, with brain function I, I find it something that's really stimulating um you know and and for me personally I, i'm not someone who likes to zone out like some people, you know, my partner likes to just sort of chill and, and that's mm. that's her self-care. Mm. Um, whereas I, I always need to be doing something. And I think me for too, me, bro. you know, creating something is, is, is like the ultimate way of, of you know, activity. You know, you're, you're, you're engaging your brain in ways that yes. you, you're not just going through the motions playing, you know, I'm sure with, with drumming, you know, if you're trying to think of new kicks and, you know, yeah. new loops and, and ways to, to, to innovate, you know, and I think, you know, for me at least that's, that's I find that really enriching. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's challenge of trying to you know create something new yeah um, yeah i i think so i've looked into it a little bit like 
being in a creative state actually allows you to be in flow. Yeah, so okay. flow state is pretty much this. It's I don't even remember back in uni. It was like there's this zone called the Goldilocks zone mm-hmm. where it's like not too hard, but not yeah, too easy. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, yep, so yep. it forces your brain to not like zone. like Because yep. if you're brushing your teeth, you don't yep. think about yeah. it. But if something's like a, what was like a super hard math test, you're just like, your brain's just like, oh, I can't mm, handle this, mm. right? So it's just right. Yeah. And then when you're in flow state, you just feel amazing. Yeah. It's just this, yeah. it's, just, it's like probably your hands are just like, yeah, going, yeah, like, it's like the perfect amount of stimulation yeah. where you just, you know, it's it's challenging enough so that you're actually thinking. Just be but focused and yeah, present. Yeah, yeah, but not so challenging that it's just overwhelming. 100%. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so like, I think everyone would benefit from a creativity practice. Yeah, if, if you, know. you know, if possible. And, you know, I, I think, look, self-care is such a, uh, a, a broad thing, you know. I think we need to recognize that. It, it, it manifests in different forms with different people. So for, for you sure. and me, you know, that definitely, that creative element works for us. Mm-hmm. Um, Some people know. like bubble baths. Hey? Some people like bubble baths. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's just as valid as, a, as sure. self-care, you know? And, sure. I, and, and I think, especially these, these last couple of years, who am I to doubt, who am I to, you know, question or, yeah. or someone else's self-care methods? You know, as long as it's not hurting anyone else, do uh, what works for you. For sure, for sure. Um. Okay, so there was a significant challenge that occurred in your life, and you kind of already mentioned yeah. it in the beginning of the podcast. Um, do you mind sharing, um, I guess, that experience, and also, I guess, how, how you've grown as an individual from that? Because um, I think so far with everyone I've interviewed, one interesting similarity is everyone's gone through some hardship, mm. and it's forced them to change positively. Mm. So, mm. yeah, you want to just kind of share that experience? Yeah, yeah, so... Um, yeah, when I was 18, my mom had leukemia and she ended up passing away, um, about six months after that mm-hmm. diagnosis. Um, and it, it, it came at a, a, I guess a very interesting time sort of, you know, that was my first year out of high school in uni. It was, uh, adjusting to, you know, being, learning how to become an adult, mm. you know? Um, and I think it, it, that time sort of coincided with you know, a lot of mental health problems like you know depression and, and anxiety at that time um and, and it, it was tough and and i think when when my mom passed away it was you almost sort of felt like you were just going through the motions mm. a, a little bit i remember she she, she died at about 3 a.m at westmead so we were all there um and i remember i was i was at a lecture at uni at 8 a.m like five out literally five hours after she died and wow. and it was just i was just like I, I just didn't question i was just like oh my to do something yeah you know i was just running on autopilot yeah yeah um and i feel like looking back i was almost on autopilot just you know for for a whole year just sort of not really knowing what i was doing yeah yeah yeah, i was kind of just doing things because i knew i needed to do them that's really interesting because um a lot of people would that's so interesting because why because a lot of people yeah. would just be like, oh, this sucks, and they stay in bed. and just yeah. and they, 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 they might even go into self-sabotage mode. They'll start like maybe like eating really badly or like mm. you know going into like drugs mm, or like, mm. you know, cutting themselves. But you you like stayed the course in a way. And I, I was around you mm. during that period. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. I actually thought you dealt with it so well. Like from the outside, at yeah, least. Yeah, from the... I think, I think mum had been really keen for us to try and go about 
our, our lives. Mm. Um, I remember my brother was overseas. Cause, like my brother's crazy smart. He, he was presenting at conferences and, and you know, before mom sort of decided to, to go, she, she insisted that my brother stay overseas and keep right. doing his work. And obviously my brother flew back, but yeah. um, you know, I think there was that part of me that, you know, really wanted to, to keep fulfilling my mom's wish just to just right. keep, keep living yeah. uh, and keep you wow. know, going about, yeah. about my business. Um, but I won't deny there, there definitely was a lot of, you know, grieving and, and, yeah. and almost self-sabotaging, as you mentioned, Jono. Um, it, perhaps people didn't necessarily see that from the outside. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think what, what helped me through it was a lot of that social support, mm. you know, and I think... Wow, that's, that's a big one. Yeah, absolutely. You know, obviously, you know, uni, you guys, um, you know, the, 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 the soccer, the guys I play soccer with, I was yep. working at a, a piano studio so that all my colleagues got behind me and, and, you know, there'd always be someone every now and then who, you know, would just text me and say, hey, you want to you wanna hang out? Yeah, you know, cool. Study to, you'd always come to my place and you would just yeah. have your textbooks and you'd yeah. just study, yeah. you know, and just being able to, 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 to do something with someone and, and build connections with people, I think that helped a lot and yeah. I think sort of moving forward it, I think it shows how important that that connect being able to form community. yeah the social community exactly yeah. having that community around you because um, because I, lo- I look back and like mum was the mum was the community you know everything yeah. sort of went through mum yeah. um, sort of having that centre point taken out it was you know like I, I love my dad I love my brother but we don't really communicate in, in the same way that it's we like would a, communicate. It's like a feminine role. Yeah, role yeah. She almost yeah. played that nurturing role type to everyone. Yeah. Um, so it was it was a, definitely an adjustment. Um, and I think it sort of forced me to, to learn how to take care of myself. And yeah. for many years, I didn't do a very good job of that. Yeah. Um, even simple things like just learning how to cook a basic meal or yeah. learning how to, you know, fold my clothes properly, you know, yeah. all, the, all those simple things that you take for granted. So, um, you know, obviously, you know, like, you know, we miss mum every day. Um, sure. But, you know, I'd like to think that I've sort of come out the other end and there are still days where, you, you know, you feel really sad and, and get yeah. quite upset. Um, and, and I think that's just how it is when you, when you lose someone yeah. close to you, you know, it never really goes. Um, but, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, she's sort of looking over us. She'll be proud of you, be. man. Yeah, thanks, Jono. 100%, yeah, man. Yeah, thank like, you. I think just what I also remember was like during that period, we had a group assignment. Yeah, I remember and- and you like did like 80% of it. I was so bad. I was so bad. I, I just did not contribute very much because I also did, was so confused. It was hard. It was, was like, that the one where we had to present something to, do you remember Chinmoy? Professor Chinmoy? Yeah, I do remember Professor Chinmoy. I remember. Chinmoy. Yeah. And it was, it was, I think there was like four of us um, and we could never find a time where all four of us were available. Was, so we were just sort of. It was something like that. But I remember there was like a lot of different pages to the mm, assignment mm. and it was just so confusing for me but no you killed it you like carried like our like our <laughs> look group. don't don't downplay yourself john you contribute to it oh uh, I, I i i was a bit late lazy <laughs> and i was just i was so confused by it but no it's just like testament to maybe the way your mum uh, uh like brought you up but like despite the circumstances mm. like you still got shit done and i think that's such a good trait that you have oh, thanks john you know like thanks, man like so many people will be like, man, like I've walked at the wrong side of the bed and my whole day's ruined yeah. and you made no excuse, you know, oh, thanks, that, man. that is like, I only, I have so much respect oh, for that don't know. because don't no, know. stop no. it, man. You're but, too kind. but I mean that cause like I see so many patients every day who give me the shittest excuses mm-hmm. and then like, then I'll see people like yourself. I'll see like 
like Andrew from one out, he, like, he literally changed his life like mm. after being out of prison. I'll see like 32 year old people with Parkinson's mm. and they're still getting up to exercise. And then just like, it was like two weeks ago, this lady would be like in a wheelchair doing like a morning walk, mm. like morning wheel. Yeah. It's like, man, like why are people still complaining? You know, it's just like, yeah. just. And, and you see like those, those patients who have that can do attitude, you know, generally have a lot better. They just get outcomes. better faster. Yeah. yeah you know, it's just yeah. people just like, in, in their own way you know, mm. is what I noticed mm. but no that's awesome man that um, you kind of came through that um, what, where do you think your what do you think your career goals are like for the next five years like, what, what are you trying to work towards yeah so uh, we're, we're trying to move a lot more into well I'm trying to move a lot more into project based work so a lot of I guess clinical research and, and quality yeah. improvement programs yeah. at the hospital so whilst I love sort of seeing patients that you know you're impacting one person at a time or one family at a time Oh, Whereas man. with projects, you can put something, implement something, a, a protocol in place that can in, potentially improve hundreds of thousands of people at a time. Like health promotion policy, yeah, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, like it could be health promotion. It could, like a lot of the, the research projects we're running um, at the hospital. So, for example, I'm trying to set up a, a pre-operative, we call it prehab. And physios often get quite involved. Yeah, so, yeah. so before like a big surgery, a lot of research shows that oh. your, your malnourished patients, when they go into surgery, they really struggle. Yeah. Like the post-op outcomes yeah. are really crap. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of research in the oh, States is showing that if we can get physio and dietetics building up these, building up functional capacity and building up muscle reserve and getting them, you know, back to uh, a, a healthy, um, you know, nutrition um, and, yeah. and, and getting the strength up that they actually have better survival rates. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we're trying to implement and just get, get a program like that started in the hospital. And so that involves a lot of data collection and yeah. um, we're, we're, we're yeah, I'm getting partnerships with honors students from, from universities to help us do the research. Yeah. Um, and so hopefully these kind of programs can then, you know, rather than just helping one person at a time, you know, you can help lots of people all in one go. That's so interesting. Um, it's, it's funny because like I've been thinking about that too. But before I speak on that, it's like, once again, it's like holistic, holistic. Mm. Like, it's not just focusing on the diet part. It's diet and like physical yeah, activity. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and also like you touched on like um, the healthier someone is to begin with, if they get hit by an external circumstances, mm. they have a better chance to survive outside. Yeah, of. exactly. And that's yeah. why like health is just the foundation oh, of everything. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, look, it's funny because I look at it's... In my approach in physio, it's always about treating the cause, not the symptom, mm, right? Mm. And when when I think about it, treating one person is actually just treating a symptom. Yeah, you, you know? yeah. If you, if, I mean, from a population health point of view. Yeah. So you're better off actually. I'm better off teaching them not to get messed up before they come in the clinic, mm. and that's actually treating the cause. Mm. You know. So like, let's say someone who comes in, let's say a typical dietitian is like they see someone who has like. Blood pre- high blood yeah, pressure from yeah. poor eating habits yeah. and then they gotta like oh you gotta now eat this and this to treat that yeah you're so much better off like teaching like a group of or like australia how to absolutely. eat well absolutely and then people just don't have to deal with yeah, it you know absolutely. so yeah. it sounds like that's kind of where you're heading yeah down, right? yeah absolutely and and you know we're finding that the the acute system it, hospital system you know we're, we're being you know, it's all over the news about how we're you know understaffed and, yeah you know, yeah and, and and if we can try and prevent a lot of these chronic preventable issues that get bad enough to the point where people have to present to hospital then it, it helps everyone yeah like, it has, you know, like like the doctors aren't, aren't under the pump yeah patients are healthier they don't you know no one likes going to hospital you'd, you'd yeah. rather not get so sick that you have to go to hospital in the first place yeah you know, so for a lot of there's things you can't prevent you know there's a lot of you know, cancers out there that sometimes it's just genetics yes, you know i get that but a lot of the things you can prevent 
you know, and, and it, it's, it's a lot easier said than done, you know, like, again, on the Central Coast, we have a lot of um, issues with, with alcohol abuse and drug addiction. And it's not just, you know, it's not like you can just say, oh, just stop taking drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, there's big systemic issues. Um, yeah, yeah, to address, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I get that. So I just dieted for 20 weeks because I've mm-hmm. been doing a body, mm-hmm. doing bodybuilding shows. So currently what I'm doing is called a recovery diet. So okay. this is something that my coach has put me on, but also like I've looked into, I guess, like bodybuilding coaches and what they've promoted. So typically there's, so there's two, tra- uh, two like ways it's, you do a reverse diet, which is slowly, um, adding calories back in so you can mm-hmm. find your set maintenance again. Mm-hmm. And a recovery diet is actually a bit different. It's actually like, let's put on like a bit of weight like a certain amount of weight so that you're back to a healthy, like fat body fat percentage mm-hmm. hormones are back in line and like your metabolism, metabolism and your whole, yeah, pretty, is pretty much back to normal. Cause what I've noticed is especially, um, uh, so my competition was last Saturday, Yeah. Saturday night, my coach said that you can just eat whatever. Yeah. And that was the first time in my life where I ate till I was sick. Yeah. Okay. I actually was like, no, yep. I couldn't yep. sleep. Because I would have to sit up because it was so yep. painful. Yeah, because you would have you would have essentially starved yourself to an, to an extent. Yeah. For what twenty weeks. Yeah. Preceding that. Yeah. You're gonna be hungry. Yeah, I I think what happened is I think is it leptin that's the hormone that tells you, you to stop eating. Ah, ghrelin. uh, ghrelin's your hunger. Yeah. So ghrelin says you're hungry. Leptin yeah. will set your fullness. Yeah. yeah, I think my leptin just was just shut down, and I just didn't I just did not feel the sensation. Yeah, your body wouldn't have almost remembered what it was like to produce Before. leptin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So yeah, but pretty much this recovery diet is like, is giving me like a, a set point of macros. Um, it's a, a little bit, it's more kind of like my, at my maintenance, a little yep. bit more than maintenance, just to kind of like get my calories back in. But even now, like I still don't feel super full. Yeah. Okay. So I think it, it, that's why I need to recover from yeah. that. And it, it's a really interesting point. We, we see this a lot with your, like your, your, your profession, uh, not profit, like your, the, the bodybuilding um, community. world. Yeah, yeah. Bodybuilding community. Um, in that because you've, you've, you've fasted for so long, your, your gut and your, your entire body almost adapts to that level of fasting. Mm. Um, an extreme version of that is your anorexia nervosa patients. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we get patients and, and they die from that because their, their wow. blood glucose level drops, adapts so to a, such an extent, um, their heart rate drops into like, I think we had one whose like resting heart rate was, what's the normal resting heart rate? Like 60, 50? Probably something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they had one where it was like 15 or something. Like it was crazy low. Um, and That's because so, blood's not pumping. Yeah, so because they don't, they're, they're trying to conserve energy so that if they can if you don't have to pump your if the heart doesn't have to pump as frequently it doesn't need to burn as much calories so it's almost in like energy saver mode yeah um and so the body the body adapts really well to starvation like obviously we don't want people becoming anorexic Mm. um but you know then trying to reintroduce food and and to nourish that body it's it's not just as straightforward as oh for sure yeah it's it tight and and you've probably noticed it's almost like you know for you trying to recognize what is hunger, what is fullness, yeah. that that hunger fullness spectrum, you know, perhaps it, it's it's still taking time to for your body to I guess normalize and get 100%. back to, to that normal functioning. Um, yeah, and and it, it is it's a very interesting sort of issue. Um, I mean, obviously we we deal with our anorexia nervosa patients, but even you know in that that bodybuilding uh, space, because um, one of your questions you sent me was was about this about binging. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of foods are uh, you'd want to binge on and, and you know I, I had a long think about that and I was thinking well really we don't want to be binging on anything for sure you know the, the very nature of the word binging is is, yeah. is you know you can have too much of a, of a good thing mm-hmm. um, 
and and it got me thinking about uh, like mindful eating, which is is becoming a lot more popular these mm-hmm. days. And and you know, I, I guess for for the average person, you know, listening at home, think about think about when you've had a really busy day at work and you haven't had time to eat lunch, right? And then you get home and you you haven't eaten all day. You're really starving, so you go into the kitchen and you grab everything. You eat everything you can get your hands on, mm-hmm. right? And then you're sitting there, as you said, Jono, so uncomfortably full because yeah. you've just eaten so much. And if you think about your your hunger spectrum, right? On one hand, you're so full that you're in pain mm. on the other end you're so hungry that you you know kill someone just to get your hands on some food yeah. right we want to be sort of in the middle For right? sure. you want to get to that point where you're oh i can feel a bit of growling in my tummy i want to eat something yeah. and you eat to the point where i'm satisfied now yeah you satisfied and, and full are different yeah exactly yeah and and so ideally you're you know it, it's a it's a tricky thing to sort of being able to recognize your hunger cues because mm. sometimes you're busy Sometimes when you're stressed, you forget your hunger. Mm. You're hungry. Um, sometimes when you're, you know, when you're overly, when you're really active, sometimes those hunger cues get get um, sort of drowned out. And when you've been fasting for really long, your body almost forgets how to, to tell you you're hungry and full. Mm. Um, so it takes a lot of time to to recognize that. And yeah. one of the things we often really encourage people to do is, when you're eating at your meal times try and and really be present with Mm. your food and i know that seems like a really wanky thing to say be present with your food but what i mean by that is if possible and i know this isn't always possible for some people but try and remove the distractions yeah yeah get your phone away sit down with a with a friend or a family member and just take your time with your food yeah we tend to find in in those circumstances you're able to because you're slowing down your body can adapt a lot quicker yep right because you know i've always been in a situation where i'm really stressed at work and i'm just sort of staring at my screen and I'm just grabbing food yeah, yeah. and before I know it I've just gone through like two packets of Tim Tams I'm yeah, like yeah. oh hold on I'm not even hungry I'm just yeah. stressed Yeah. Um, so yeah we, we really encourage people if, if possible slow down take your time with your food be present with your food you know chew enjoy the analyse the textures and the tastes mm. and the smell and all of that and, and that can yeah. help a lot with just getting digestion your body regulated too. yeah yeah and digestion as well yeah, yeah. That's f- so what's funny is I use that to my advantage because <clears throat> I was very skinny mm. so in order to um, override the hunger signal, I'd, fast. I, no, no, I'd distract myself. I'd oh, watch, okay. I'd watch like people eating and yep. I'd eat. Yeah, okay. Because so, so what's interesting is in the off season, yep. I'll do that. Yeah. And then in season, when I have to like, when I'm eating so much less food, then I'm using applying that mindful eating mm-hmm. like principle. But yeah, I'd just like I'd watch like this is a guy called Matt Stoney on YouTube, and uh-huh. he just he just eats he just like eat. oh, he, he puts the mic next to the. He's, it's not a mukbang one. He just eats like like ridiculous amounts of yeah, food. Okay. I'd watch him and, I'd, and then I'd be like, oh, I finished this. And it'd be so much easier than if I just didn't watch it. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, and if, if that gets you through it, if, yeah. you know, that whatever works for you, man. Um, okay, so just to come back onto that question I did ask you. So my actual question was like, so during prep, there'd be periods where I was so hungry mm-hmm. and I'd want to like cheat on my diet. Yep. Yeah. And what what I was curious about was of the things to cheat on, in terms of macros, what is less damaging to my body composition? So this is my train of thought yeah, so far. Okay. So I'm already in a depleted state. So if I eat something like rice cakes or like, let's say like fruits, or let's say rice cakes, um, I'm not going to be getting too much fat because I'm just restoring glycogen stores. Yeah. So That's the rice my, cakes, I'm, I'm assuming are like a... Just carbs, just yeah, purely yeah. carbs. And then, But then on the other hand, I'm thinking if I was just to eat like plain chicken breast and just eat a shit ton of chicken breast, is that also going to be less likely for me to gain fat? Because like we said before, it takes a lot more energy to, to convert protein to glucose or fat, right? 
so it. So what do you think from a biochemistry perspective? Which of these is less gonna <laughs> fuck me up? I'd say <laughs> like the thing with with, with chicken breast, it, it's it's essentially a, a lot of protein. Yeah. Um, and so. I think like a hundred grams of chicken breast gives you about 25 grams of protein, like give that. or take. Yeah. So uh, from a absorption point of view, if we're talking just muscle building, I mean, most people generally about 30 to 40 gram boluses is, is the max that your, your body can take in, in one sitting. So if yeah. you're having like a I don't know, 300 grams of chicken breast, that's, that's more than your body. That's more than the average body can, can mm-hmm. tolerate for the average healthy person. All that means is that your kidneys are going to filter out that extra excess protein and pee it out. Oh, so just, I just pee it yeah, out. You, you just yeah. I, I mean, you're stored as fat. To be honest, you're you're kind of wasting a lot of money buying all that chicken breast. Oh, man, when you're on prep, it's <laughs> everything's just about wasting money. I, I'm buying like sugar-free jelly. Yeah, just okay. literally no calories. Uh-huh. Okay, that's good to know. Um, everyone who's in prep can actually uh, like. Appreciate I would that. I would advise against doing that long term. My For disclaimer sure. is that. It's not healthy. It, it's just, it yeah, it makes your kidneys have to work a lot harder. Yeah, and okay. so if you've got if you're some if you're listening at home and you have any sort of chronic kidney disease, do not do that. Yeah, because okay. uh, it will fuck your kidneys up and you end up in hospital and you have to see me. Okay. Um, so okay. yeah, it, it, it's an interesting like obviously like I'm 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 a foreigner to the bodybuilding world. So yeah. for me, the whole concept of binging on something on anything is just we'll say it's not binging, but you're going over your calories. Yeah. So let's say it's like let's because let's say I was prescribed like eighteen hundred calories for fat loss. So if I were to eat like let's say five hundred calories more mm-hmm. of let's say rice cakes or five hundred calories more of chicken breast, which would affect my body composition. From a from a from a calorie point of view, it's still the calories are still the calories. So you're you're still going to you know if you sustain that surplus, there's still going to be some external weight gain. Yeah. Um. Like even even with the pro- because you. Using the, the example I said with the protein, your body peeing it out, that's an, an assuming that you're well-nourished to begin with. You know, yeah. If you're in a very depleted state, your body's going to try and utilize as much of yeah. that as you can. So uh, from my point of view, either food... It, it'll, it'll still... Okay, so it, there's no difference in if it's a protein versus carb. I think saying it like whether it fucks you up is probably a bit of a, you know, over breach. Yeah. Um, like... Uh, you mentioned the the, the calorie free jellies. Yeah. Like, uh, that could. There's be... like it's like collagen or something. It's like made of protein. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've seen some of the you know those sippy cups, the, not the sippy cups, the those squirt jelly joys. Jelly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And and at uh, the Asian shop, they've got like yeah. one which is like like two calories. Yeah. Um, with like y- using a, a slightly different example so i used to do a, a group for gestational diabetes of so women who were pregnant mm. and so we had to teach them quite strict carbohydrate um i guess portions yeah um, because you know in that stage you don't want to mess up the baby so we had to be quite strict um and we had a lot of ladies who'd be like you know this is such a little amount of food i, I don't want to starve i still want to eat something and so we'd be encouraging what we call at, at the time we call them free foods that were so low in carbohydrates that it wouldn't affect your blood sugar levels and I'm wondering, could that be something like a, a concept of that? Not not so much carbohydrates, but something that's really low or zero calories. Is if you're feeling like you want to put something in your tummy, you can put some volume in. Yeah, like zero that, calorie stuff. That's pretty much, I think. Just what, so you can fill yourself up and feel satisfied without sure. over, you know, going past that whatever that calorie amount. Yeah, as you've said it's a lot of water anyway. Mm, right? Yeah, so you, you'll find a lot of that. I mean, again, I, I'm I'm very much against the whole concept of dieting for the sake of dieting. Yeah. Um, but you know, you you you'll notice a lot of those diet products that are 
you know a lot of fluids yeah um to you know you just you're just putting fluids into your yeah, tummy so you, you, you feel full, feel full yeah. um, without necessarily consuming the calories i guess my disclaimer to that is outside of the body building yeah, world don't do it. yeah try it like we're, we're already in such a weight focused and diet yeah. obsessed culture as it yeah. is and so if we don't need to be dieting from a yeah, for sure. dieting, you know this is purely a bodybuilding yeah, thing purely yeah yeah yes yeah. yeah. wait so so just just for the final answer is it what's the worst um, my my, my oh. final answer is neither <laughs> damn okay. i want to say no i'm gonna say neither okay that's actually good because this will promote no one to cheat on the diets <laughs> okay cool um what do you think are the most we'll, we'll say three what are yeah. the top three most common diet myths yeah. that people are still believing in 2022 that it's just stupid now yeah um, so I had, a, I had a really long think about this one. So, so the, the first myth I was wanted to, to talk about was the, the myth that your weight defines your health. And I know we talked a lot about calories in, calories out before, yeah. but you know we're in a society where you know you, you notice every new year that all those weight loss companies start advertising. You know, mm. lose. You know, this person lost eight kilos in eight weeks, and, and they glorify it as if it's a as if it's a good thing. And, and you and I would both know that your weight is there's so many factors that influence your weight. You know, yeah. your muscle mass, your fat mass, your your yep. bone density, fluid yep. status. Um, and and the, the number on the scales alone doesn't really give us a very good indicator sure. of health. Just and one measure. Exactly. Exactly. It's just one measure. Um, of all the metrics we use in, in the hospital system, weight's probably, on its own, weight is probably one of the crappiest metrics mm. of health. And, and by extension, I'm actually going to throw BMI into that. Mm. Uh, I'll oh, come yeah. to BMI. But sure. like, you know, there, there's there's so many other metrics you could use, like for functional capacity, your six-minute walk test, you sit to stand, you know, you could do dietary analysis to measure the, the quality of your diet. Things like your cholesterol levels, your triglycerides, your blood glucose levels, your HbA1c, which is like a long-term measure of your blood glucose levels. Like all of those metrics put together give us a much more holistic indicator of your overall health rather than just the number on the scales alone. Yeah. The, the reason I mentioned BMI as well is that it's... It, the, the, the equation to measure BMI is, is your, your weight in it's kilos. It's weight. It's not muscle mass. Divided, exactly. Mass. You know, and, and as a result, you know, the, the, the things like muscle mass, the fat mass, that doesn't get accounted for yeah. in BMI. I, I looked up the history of the BMI. It was interesting. In the 19th century, it was actually developed by a, a mathematician. It wasn't developed by a health, health professional. professional. Mm. And the, the mathematician developed as a way just to categorize people. You know, yeah. how when they do a census, this person's Asian or this person, uh, or, you know, Caucasian. And it was just a way just to, to put people into boxes just to collect data. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it sort of worked its way even into health. the medical, yeah, mm. into health. You know, if doctors will say, oh, your BMI is this, you're overweight, you need to lose weight. But, you know, when we look at weight and BMI, if people make their dietary choices just with the sole purpose of manipulating that, the, we end, you can end up doing a lot of unhealthy things and doing a lot of damage. Yeah just for the sake of that number. Yeah. And it's a trap people fall into. You know? I, I have doctors still prescribe me, because I'm a physio and an EP. Um, I have doctors still prescribe me patients who have high BMIs and to mm. reduce their BMI. And I'm like, that's, that's yeah. it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And especially if those patients, if they're able to function and yeah. do their things and, 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 and you know, have a good quality of life and they can move around, mm. you know, are we just losing weight for the sake of losing weight? Yeah. You know? Yeah. We, we, we have a lot of patients in hospital who will be, you know, often coming quite quite large, mm. um, and you know, so some doctors, very well-meaning doctors, will ask me, "Oh, can we get this patient to lose weight so that they can get out of hospital?" And then, but you know, that doesn't guarantee. Like, what what gets them out of hospital is them being able to stand, and walk and move. Yeah. And then the correlation between weight and functional capacity, it, it's not a very strong correlation. You know, you can be two hundred kilos, but if you've got the muscle mass to get up and move, you know, you can get discharged. Sure. 
Um, you know, I often have, have malnourished patients who are 30 kilos and they're so wasted that, you know, they need to spend months in rehab just to build that weight back up. Mm. Um, so I think one of the myths for, for the average person, you know, the, the, the idea that your weight equals your health, I think is a very poor metric sure. of health. Sure. But uh, I, I do have to say though that just, I don't think the fat and healthy is a thing. Fat. So I won't. You know how like, oh, so this is more like ethical and like morality uh-huh. now. But like, you know how... Oh, right. Like the, the idea that being, being bigger uh, uh, you is... You can be obese and you can be healthy, you know, because that's really common. There's, right a, there's a lot of research going into the, the cardio, um, the, the metabolic health. So things like your yeah. blood glucose levels, your, your triglyceride, yeah. your cholesterol levels. And I guess in terms of the, the correlate, there's not a strong correlation that, oh, if you're a certain weight, it guarantees your triglycerides cholesterol. Oh, really? You know, there's, there's no... It, it's not like, oh, if you, if, I, if you can get to this weight, you're guaranteed to have a good you know, blood glucose okay. or, or a perfect cholesterol I, level. Because I thought just being at a certain weight puts more pressure on your heart to send blood. You know, so even like these really big bodybuilders who like in the bodybuilding scene, the really big ones, some of them like die mm. because it's mm. just so much mass that the blood has to pump. So the body almost doesn't recognize, it doesn't care if it's other muscle or fat, just the pure, the pure fact that you are a certain weight is putting you at more risk. If there's a, yeah, and, and from a, I guess from a, a physio end, like we'll, we'll have patients coming in with, you know, they're 250 kilos yeah. and, and there's so much pressure on their heart that the, the heart essentially cannot pump yeah. blood to, to the body. Uh, when I talk about, I guess, larger people, you know, for the, the average person who's got a bit of belly fat, mm. you know, a bit of, bit of a love handle, if, if you want to yeah, call it okay. like, like that, having a bit of belly fat or, you know, being a little bit plumper mm. doesn't, necessarily mean you're unhealthy okay sure so, so it, it's, it's it's the extreme it's the extreme yeah, okay yeah, cool yeah so in that case weight does mean bad health when it gets to that point okay generally like like and when i'm i'm talking extreme like like people who are like 200 kilos who, who are bed bound yeah, and yeah. cannot literally get out off the bed yeah. um weight then plays a factor generally if you've got to that point there's probably a lot of other chronic health conditions oh, at sure. play yeah um, and uh, ironically, often it's the, the weight was the last thing that got, that came into that, you know, often they'll uh-huh. have other things like, you know, diabetes or uh, often yeah. it's a lot of mental health problems as well. Yeah. Um, that, that got them to that point yeah. to that, which then got that weight to that point, which then had sure. those That's uh, weight's, weight's a symptom. Yeah. 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 So I, I think that the, the myth, I, it's not to say that, you know, we just disregard everyone, throw their kitchen scales out or, you know, throw their bathroom scales mm-hmm. out and, and forget about weight. It's, it's not, it's trying to shift away from using that as the primary metric. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. focusing on, on physical activity, having, having a healthy diet, you know, those things. And then things like your weight and things like your cholesterol and your blood glucose levels will come. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, I think though, how I look at it is like, let's even back to the macro tracking and like the weight scale, like these are just tools. And if you like, it's like a knife, you can use it to kill people or you can mm. use it to yeah. cook food for your family. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's just about the way you use it. Yeah. Cause I think if people get like obsessed over like, Oh my, like I have had patients who like, they'd be like, Oh, I gained weight today. It's like, I, I feel te-. like that. Yeah. It just yeah. ruins yeah. the whole yeah, day. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So for me, it's more like, I look at it completely like no emotion. Like, okay, I gained this much. Cool. It's just something. Yeah, just yeah, a measure exactly. It's, it's just a number. Like, it's just the, a measure. you know, it, it's society that attaches a value of good or bad to it. That's right. But it it's just, it's just a number. Stuff. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. So that's my first myth. Yeah. Um, my second myth uh, that that really bothers me is is that the idea that supplements are automatically good for you. 
and there's some mm, circumstances cool. where, where they're, they're warranted. Yeah. Um, the, the supplement industry is a, like a very unregulated, it's a huge industry, but it's very unregulated, mm-hmm. uh, which means companies are often free to, you know, say whatever they want, mm-hmm. really. Um, for the average person who's consuming a, a balanced, varied diet, your body's got enough micronutrients, vitamins, minerals that you need that you don't necessarily need yeah. supplements. Again, there are certain situations where they're really helpful. So, for example, a lot of my older patients, they need a lot more calcium and vitamin D, and they it's it's hard for them to get enough of that in their diet so that you know they get those calcium and vitamin D supplements. And we have um, uh, women who, who lose a lot of blood in their when they have their um, menstrual when they have their periods. Um, sometimes they, they could benefit from iron supplements. Mm-hmm. But the idea that you if you're an average you know just a, a normal average Joe, the idea that you need to be taking buying you know spending hundreds of dollars buying all these supplements because it will you know enhance your health. You know, to be honest, it's, it's a lot of it is just your body will filter out and you'll just pee it out. Right, right, yeah, yeah. The, the example I like to use is when when the first wave of COVID came, um, all these supplement companies were selling uh, immunity boosters. Mm. You know, you go through the shops and people were buying, you know, and it was just this big thing on that it would just say immune booster, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and really all it was was just vitamin C and zinc. Now, both of those ingredients are really healthy. You can find vitamin C in you know, your citrus fruits. Yeah. Zinc you'll find in things like oysters, um, seafood, meat, fish. Um, walnuts will have them. A lot of cereals will have zinc added into them. right? So if you're having a balanced diet, you've got those two ingredients already, enough of that in your system. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, the, the way that the supplement companies market it is that they try to paint the picture that it's like a linear relationship where the more you consume those supplements, the somehow the more immune right. using that that immunity booster as an example right and so they, they try and get this idea that oh if i have 10 of these i'm going to be super immune and nothing's right. going to get me but there's a cap it's right. a yeah it's a plateau effect right? yeah, yeah. and most people already at, just by having a normal healthy diet with lots of food groups they're already at that you know highest end of that 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 plateau if you're thinking that that line but would you say most people aren't eating healthily within in australia the the likely or i guess in my population group the the ones where i see having big nutrient deficiencies are generally the ones who are either coming in with alcohol abuse because they've just spent like weeks without eating anything yeah uh and my homeless people okay because um i'm going to i'm gonna not gonna name the name but i know someone (laughs) who eats mac spices for dinner Uh he just had chicken nuggets I don't think he's health- He's eating healthily, but he has no negative side effects. For now. <laughs> I hope you're watching this. Because, yeah, he, and he just, he eats very irregularly too. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and then like randomly, like in the, in the middle of the night, he'll have like ramen. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so it's like all processed. Yeah, and, and look, you know, with, with those types of people, I'd, rather than telling you to spend $100 buying multivitamins. Mm, just have a balanced diet. Yeah, have some fruit. Yeah. If you have your ramen, you know, put some frozen put veggies, some veggies in. Or, in it. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and again, going back to what we discussed earlier about, you know, there's nothing wrong with having, you know, the occasional unhealthy sure. food from time to time. That, that's okay. That's fine. You that's know? his diet though. <laughs> and, and that's probably where we want to be trying to introduce a lot more food groups. You know, I, I think if you can, trying to have a, a, a lot of variety in your diet helps cover any potential micronutrient deficiencies. So, mm-hmm. My partner, for example, she, she works as a dietitian with, with uh, a lot of children who have um, like autism mm. and they have often that autism will present in, you know, the, the, the kid will only have uh, foods that are red 
or they'll only have you know these foods that are a certain texture and they're often at risk of micronutrient deficiency because if you're only having oreos and chips you know you're not going to be getting any of the vitamins that fruits and veggies and whole grains would give you yeah Um, and so you know that population group that's the, the the risk group you know, for developing deficiencies. So pretty much you're saying he has autism. <laughs> your word's not mine. Okay. I think um, I, I think I know who you're talking about as well. So your okay. word's not mine. Um, what do you say to people who say that they feel fine eating like that? Yeah, well, yeah. They're like, oh, I feel fine. Like, I, I eat McDonald's, but I feel good. Each for their own. Like, it, it's an interesting thing when we're with these deficiencies that it's not like if you have a, a one day where you don't meet your five stars of veg, you're going to suddenly drop dead. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know, those chronic things will happen 30 years down the track. Mm, mm-hmm. you know, and often I'll get my, my diet, my patients who had diabetes diagnosed at age 50 yeah. and they'll be thinking, Oh, I shouldn't have done that when I was age 20. Mm. The caveat to that is like, I don't want everyone going home stressing like, Oh, I have to have, you know, I have to weigh out my fruit. I have to have my, five stars of veg have to have my you know it, it's like like it, don't stress about it but like stress. make some positive changes yeah yeah and and the, probably the best thing you can do when you get home is try to add a bit of variety into mm. your night you know if i love ramen mm. there's nothing bad about ramen mm. add some veggies when mm. you're cooking it you know mm. um lentils chickpeas add, add some add some farmer in um yep. you know if if you if you're having a, a sweet if you're having a cake for a snack have it, but also have a banana just, as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, at least you're covering, making sure you're getting all those vitamins and minerals yeah. as well. Cool. Um, w- what's something that you would like to just tell everyone from the perspective of a dietitian? Like, what's something we haven't talked about that you just think everyone should know? I think... In the diet can, I, can I say two things? Yeah, sure. Okay, so the, the first thing is probably... One of the things I tell a lot of patients, you know, people who ask me, you know, what can I do to improve my health? Trying to include a lot more plant-based. And now, not vegan, I, that's a completely different yeah, kettle yeah. of fish. But we see a lot of, uh, I guess, amateur bodybuilders, you know, they, they have just chicken. They're just, it's it's protein, yeah. right? Chicken and carbs, chicken and carbs. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and f- from our overall health point of view, there's a lot of evidence showing that, you know, if we can integrate a bit more fiber into our diet, so fruits, veggies, whole grains. Yeah. Fiber helps with chronic health disease management. So things like mm-hmm. cardiac health, um, diabetic management, we often encourage that. Your gut health, and I sort of alluded earlier to the gut-brain axis. And mm-hmm. so I'll elaborate on that on a bit more detail. There's a lot of research showing that, you know, there's a, the, the brain communicates with the gut. So traditionally, we've always thought of it as a one-way street. You know, when you're really stressed, you might poop or you might get really gassy, right? Mm-hmm. We're finding that what's happening in the gut also can go up here. Yeah, exactly. So what you affect. eat can influence your mood. Yeah, and the, now there's a lot of research now going into help how our diet can help with mental health. You know, mm. this research with at the moment this you know it's obviously not a hugely research, but there's a lot of emerging research suggesting that you know if we can have more fiber, that helps feed the microbiome, and that then communicates to our brain. Um, and so, for, I mean, for a lot of reasons, we'd be encouraging people to, to incorporate more, more plant-based foods, which, you know, of course I love my meat. I love steak. I love mm-hmm. chicken. Still have that. Mm-hmm. If we can throw in some extra server veggies or throw yeah. in some lentils or chickpeas or, you know, when you're having your, your cereal in the morning, try and choose a high fiber cereal. Yeah. Um, also from a, I guess a sustainability point of view, you know, the plant-based foods are a lot lot less impact on our planet oh yeah um sure. and from a cost point of view it's a bit cheaper too, a lot like cheaper yeah red meats yeah <clears throat> exactly yeah. yeah um one of the i guess the the hacks um 
that, that my partner and I use with, with vegetables is if the if the fresh vegetable is out of season or if it's really crazy expensive, yeah. we'll, we'll go to the frozen section and get... Yeah, I eat a lot of frozen yeah. veggies because someone told me it's like the same... Nutritionally, it's, it's pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, I think the only micronutrient was vitamin C where the freezing process slightly okay. reduces it, but just have an orange and yeah, yeah. you're good. Yeah. You know? So, um, you know, I, I think that the, the misconception that healthy eating needs to be expensive. Oh, yeah, uh, you yeah. Know, yeah. Not, I mean, not necessarily. You just need to have a bit of guidance sometimes, sure. knowing where to, to look. Um, yeah. The second thing I wanted to really encourage everyone um, is relax when it comes to diet. Mm. You know, everyone gets so G'd up about, you know, I have to be on this diet. I have to be strict about this diet. Mm. You know, and, and I sort of said this earlier, food is so much more than just calories or micronutrients. It, you know, there's, there's the social component, there's cultural, you know, every few and me, Chinese New Year, it's spending time with family, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, Christmas coming up, you know, uh, food is, is, is taste, it's texture, it's smell, it's, you know, being able to spend time with, with people you like. Mm. Um, you know, so I, I really encourage people to try and reevaluate your relationship with food. You know, if you're outside of the elite bodybuilding uh, component right like if you're sitting down and you're miserable with your food and you're like oh mm. I have to eat this salad I hate this salad but I have to eat it just to get my macros in mm. I'd be really encouraging people to, to think you know is, is it worth it sure you know sure. For, from we talk about holistic health and it's more than just the body physical, fat percentage yeah, yeah. And, and weight and, you know yeah. you, you want to be enjoying your food enjoy the experiences that that food brings mm-hmm. um, you know I, I'm probably biased in the sense that we, we do see a lot of those eating disorder patients come through and you see how their relationship with food is mm-hmm. where it's just about trying to minimize as many macros as you possibly can to, mm-hmm. to get you know as, as tiny and undernourished as you can so yeah. um, you know enjoy food mm-hmm. while you can you know we see old patients mm-hmm. come in with strokes and they can't swallow Sure. You know, and they say, oh, you know what? All I would give is just to be able to have a nice cup of tea. Uh, you know, so en- enjoy your food while you can. Yeah. You know, there's going to come a day where perhaps that's not going to be possible. Sure, you know. sure. Well, just to kind of touch on that though, because I, for me, I think in the context of this podcast, which is maximizing everything, right? I think it's first step is to get to that place where you can be enjoying food and have balance. Mm. But I think in order to become, let's say, let's say if you were to become elite, then you have to make like certain sacrifices in order to achieve that goal, mm. right? So I would, I would say like most professional athletes are not eating like cakes and stuff mm. when they're in season, mm. right? Mm. Um, so I definitely, because if you just go straight to like being restrictive, you'll start to, do, I'm sure people, I'm sure there's many bodybuilders that have eating disorders because mm. mm. I, can, I can completely see that happening. But I think you just have to have the healthy relationship first. Absolutely. And then go into the yeah. like intensity. Yeah. Yep. Um, but what I've also noticed is just like, just from restricting myself, I have a greater appreciation of food. food yeah. You know, yeah. so, um, there's a, there's a, there's a place in Japan and there's a term for it. It's like, they all eat like less than like 80% of fullness. And it's just yeah. like, apparently that has a like really good health benefits too. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned sort of, you know, the, the, the more people restrict, the, the more they start thinking about food and, mm. and, and. The, again, the extreme version of that with the uh, anorexia nervosa is that they they become obsessed with food. One yeah, of yeah. the one of the screening oh. questions we asked to, to see if anyone's got you know a risk of an eating disorder is, is you know are your thoughts dominated 
buy food. That was <clears throat> that was me like the last eight weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I think that's where, you know, definitely for you, John, encouraging that self-care and rebuilding that healthy yeah, relationship sure. with, with food is really important. Um, you know, it's human nature. The more you restrict something, the more you think about it, the more you want to do it. Yeah. Um, and so unless you're, you know, restricting for bodybuilding or, or you know some sort of physique based competition then you shouldn't be doing don't, it don't don't restrict sure. enjoy your food have For your sure. regular meals eat you know health and body comp looks is different things yeah and performance are different yeah things. and i'm sure you'd agree with me like you know there's some bodybuilders out there even though they're shredded they're not necessarily healthy oh, honestly bodybuilding is not healthy it is like I, I, the things you do to your body it's not to, healthy. to get to that yeah, yeah yeah but it's just something that i think it's the same reason i, I look at it the same thing as like it's not healthy to be a, like a race car driver or a stunt, mm-hmm. stunt man. And it, it just gives yeah. you, it, yeah, and that's your release. Yeah. 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 And look, I think, you know, with those types of hobbies, it, it's important to make sure you've got the, the, the baseline of health. First. Yeah. 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 Um, and I guess for the listeners at home, if, if you're sort of sitting here thinking, oh crap, you know, I do have a pretty crappy relationship with food or all I can think about is food or I'm obsessed with my weight. You know, I think now is probably a good time to start thinking, go to your GP, get a referral to see a, a dietitian, mm-hmm. even see a, a psychologist. Cause there's a lot of, yeah. you know, a lot of food. those disordered eating, we, we work hand in hand with psychologists yeah. to, to just try and you know, get you enjoying food again. Mm-hmm. Uh, often with those types of patients, it's, you know, if we think about people having breakfast, lunch, dinner, it means three times in the day where you're anxious, you know, and, and scared, you know, for a lot of those types of people, every food decision is terrifying. Mm. Um, and you know, it's, I don't think it's any way to live when every single day you're just anxiety. I look about. forward to it. Yeah. And yeah. I, that's great that you're, you know, you're looking forward to food and yeah. that's how we, everyone should be. We should all be, you know, Oh, it's lunchtime. We're really keen to enjoy my pasta or enjoy my yeah. sandwich or whatever it is I had, you know? Yeah. Um, and we really want to try and build that, that type of culture where, where food is meant to be enjoyed. Food's not something that's meant to scare people, or, mm-hmm. you know, cause stress. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's tasty. It's, you know, eat yeah, it. it's literally like nourishing. It yeah, it's not exactly. It, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. so, um, yeah, I really encourage people to, to, you know, just have a think about how, how you view food. Cool. Awesome, man. So before the final question, um, if I guess you don't work with anyone one-on-one, but like, I guess if anyone wants to like learn more about diet, like maybe someone who wants to be a dietitian or wants to work in your space, like what's the best way to like find you or like be in contact with you? So, so best place to start if you just want to find a a dietitian is going to the Dietitians Australia website. Is that Um, where they can find you? Uh, yeah, I'll have to double check my details on there, but yeah, yeah. (laughs) you probably just Google me and you'll find my my profile on their, on their website. Um, if you have certain specialty interests like bodybuilding, for example, I'd really encourage going onto the Sports Dietitians Australia website because uh, they can they've got that extra level of training which I don't have to to advise on on sports specific nutrition mm. um, and making sure you're safe at doing it. Um, the great thing with the, the 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 database that the Dietitians Australia website has, you can filter by interests. So oh, if cool. you're thinking, oh, you know, I've, the doctor said I need to work on my heart health, you can find a dietitian who specialises in that. Or if you're yeah you know, got an eating disorder, yeah. um, the dietitians who have extra training in that. Um, hopefully people don't need to see me because yeah, if you're sick enough to need to, if you're sick enough to need to see me, it's, uh, it's probably not, not a good thing. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, there's like, a, as we said earlier, the dietitians work in all sorts of spaces. So whilst I'm in the ICU and you probably never want to see me, yeah. uh, there's heaps of dietitians working in private practice. Um, if you, if, if you have a chronic 
condition, um, go to your GP because you can get Medicare rebates to, to get a, a session, multiple sessions with a dietitian yep. as well. Is there like any Instagram? I know you've recommended me like Jono Steedman. Yeah. Is there anyone else? Like I, that you I really like Jono Steedman because um, he's a... Uh, he, he, Shout he, out. Yeah. Shout <laughs> out. I hope he notices us. You got to tag him. Because um, he, he does really well to break down, I guess, nutrition bullshit. But, yeah. you know, and he'll call people out on, on social media mm-hmm. um, and, and show the evidence. And I think he, he does a really good job of breaking it down so that the average person can understand, understand it. Yeah. Um, if you've got a more of a science background and you're more confident with interpreting critical, you know, critically analyzing research, there's a Instagram page called The Nutritional Advocate. Um, and he's a dietitian based in England. Um, and he, he goes into like, crazy deep dives into like meta analyses and he just yeah. pulls apart the paper and says what's good about it what's bad about it um it, it's it, it's really good if you're like really into your science and and into into yeah. research like i must admit sometimes i I'll scroll through his stories and i'm like this is this is even too much for me yeah okay. um but if you're really into science i think he's a good one to go to look at as well okay awesome man yeah. all right and the final question is why do you think it's important to 99 everything i think it's a it's a it's a value that like my parents obviously instilled in me, you know, trying hard at everything. And I, th- I think the key word to that is, is trying your best mm. as opposed to being obsessed with being, you know, better than everyone else. Um, you know, I often feel like if, if you're going to do something, you may as well put in effort Some to work, it. Yeah. Otherwise there's no point in doing it mm. at all, you know, and, and that's probably a lesson I learned a lot with team sports. You know, if you, if you're there just to do a half-assed effort, you're letting everyone else down Ooh, as well. That's a big one. Um, yeah, you can yeah. <laughs> use that as a quote. Yeah. Um, and so I think for that reason, you know, it's important. That it's, it's not that crucial that you're perfect and you get everything right, but it's important that you give it a go. Mm. We have a lot of uh, univer- like dietitian students who, who come through our hospital and we, my job is to, you know, all of our jobs as, as clinicians is to guide them through and make sure they pass. And, and one of the, the piece of advice I give to them is, is say yes to everything and try everything, even if you're shit at it. Because at least if, if I can see you try something and I can see you be shit, we can find what you're shit at and then Get work on being better. Yeah. But if you never try in the first place, no one's going to know. Yes. And your skill set is going to be limited. So tiny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, probably to all the listeners at home, it, it, give it a go would be my recommendation. Mm. No matter how crap you are. And look, some people give it a go and find it's not for them. And At least cool. you know. At least you know. Exactly. Yeah. At least you found out. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, man. Well... Thanks again for coming on the podcast. Oh, my that pleasure, awesome. Jonah. Um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, don't forget to like or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. But come and check it out again next time. Peace.